0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country? For more information, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
0: You're listening
2: to Cutting the Curd. Hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Anne Saxelby, broadcast live to the cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network.
3: Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of, whoa, hey, bluegrass, <laughs> hey, what? Uh, welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host is Sophie Schlesinger. Hey, everybody. We are joined in studio today by John Bonanno of Eritom Dairy. Hello. And also uh, by our uh, special guest, Owen Rappaport, who is our, our curd word Guy and summer <laughs> intern. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna do our curd word segment again uh, later in the show, so you yeah. can keep up our cheese vocab and knowledge. Um, so John, so yes, you are your cheesemaker now, Aratom Dairy. I'm a cheesemaker. Up in, well, you've been a cheesemaker for a while, but um, are currently up at Aratom Dairy in Westchester County. Yeah. Um, you worked with us at uh, Saxleby Cheesemongers for a while. That was yeah. the beginning. Which was great fun. That was the beginning. And uh, take us even further back. Where yeah. Where did you start and how the heck did you end up uh, on a goat dairy in Westchester?
4: Um, uh, so I graduated from college and I got into the filmmaking business. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I worked in for five or six years. Okay. And I kind of decided that was not for me. Moved back to the city and uh, spent a couple years tutoring SAT stuff um, for the SAT, random other... uh, standardized tests uh-huh. which was a good way to basically delay making a decision about what i wanted to do with my life
5: uh-huh <laughs> and also like keep up on your bio and chem and math not
4: re- no? yeah a little a bit, bit. a <laughs> little bit math i mean math is I, math. I remember yeah. when i first started uh you know started i was like i couldn't do any of my love the stuff that i from high school but it all came back <laughs> um and it it, it was great because it allowed me to basically live in new york and kind of explore all kinds of different things which eventually became agriculture um Of course, the the logical (laughs) topic in New York City. (laughs) Um, I became interested in agriculture because I grew up in Western Mass, surrounded by dairy farms, and I kind of wanted to get back to that a little bit, as much as I could. Um, I took a class up at Hawthorne Valley Farm with Rachel Schneider, uh, who runs the education department up in Hawthorne Valley. Um, And while I was taking that class, I was also dating a French woman, who I'm still dating, Um, (laughs) and became interested in cheese. And uh, started listening to Cutting the Curd. Oh, uh, there it all I comes full it, circle. It does come full circle. I wasn't sure if you were aware of, of the fact that my cheese career is...
3: <laughs> that is... Well, I remember we met at Beer Table for we a, a beer, table, a beer and cheese event that we did there with Springbrook Farm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe you did mention that, but I but I forgot because my brain is a sieve.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I would listen to the show coming back from Hawthorne Valley. It's a... It's a long drive to Ghent um on the way back I'd to the show and I kept hearing people do this show who I really really dug and I was like man it sounds like a, a really cool industry to be a part of you know I remember listening to Chris Gray's uh, episode and Michael Lee's episode Angela Miller's episode and during Angela Miller's episode she mentioned um Caroline Smilek and Peter Kindle mm-hmm. um who worked at the Hawthorne Valley Farm and I thought uh, kismet um <laughs> It's uh, The cheese world is now following me. Um, so I ended up uh, getting in touch with Consider Bardwell and working for six months or so with the goats up there. Um, and then when I was done with that little internship, I contacted you.
0: <laughs>
4: I was actually sitting in uh, a cheese making class with Peter Dixon, who was at Consider Bardwell at the time. Um, but I didn't get a lot of uh, of uh, cheese house experience at Consider Bardwell. It was mostly tending to baby goats and stuff like that. Um, Not such a bad raising gang. raising yeah. some of the meat goats that ended up um, as part of part Goattober. Goattober exactly.
3: Goattober is a is a an initiative that we well I I kind of told my husband, Patrick, who runs a meat company that he should sell goats because on dairy farms, there's nothing to do with the male goats, but exactly. people should eat them because they're tasty. Exactly. <laughs> so I think I was,
4: I think I helped basically raise the first, one of the first big herds for goat Tober. That's I, awesome. oh, I, turned so lo- I turned a turned a lot circles. Of, yeah, this, so a of circles. Yeah. it's a kind of a disgusting right number of circles. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. This right was, was a Venn diagram. It would so, be a mess. So, so yeah. during, yeah, during the, P- during things. Peter Dixon's uh, cheese making course, when I probably should have been paying attention to what exactly coagulation is, cause I still can't really tell you. Um, I know kind of what it is. <laughs> Owen can tell you the curd word perfect. guy. <laughs> <Perf>. <laughs> I'll do my best. So during <laughs> the, during the class, I looked down and I noticed that Sackleby cheesemongers was looking for a, new monger. And I fired off my resume from Putney, Vermont, uh, where I was hanging out with Peter, and um, one thing led to another, and I know two weeks later I was a cheese at Saxby Cheesemongers. That's great. Um, but the whole time <laughs> I had my eye on on uh, making cheese. Um, I don't know really why, because I've now discovered it's not an easy road. Um, <laughs> but I, I uh, so I I got an internship at uh, Rainbow Ridge Farm, which is the in northern Westchester in Bedford Hills, um, and so while I was SAT tutoring and working at Saxley Cheese Marks. I was also going up to Rainbow Ridge a couple times a week and helping with Lisa Schwartz uh, on the farm there, making uh, her cheeses um, and periodically getting to hang out with the goats.
3: And um, so, and then that kind of led to your current. Uh, yep. endeavor, what yep. um, didn't kind of lead to, it did lead to that your current it. endeavor. So can you tell us about the transition from, so, how do you go from working from Lisa to have your own dairy so up at the farm? So basically
1: her
4: husband, um, you know, uh, got a a gig in Beijing, um, running Goldman Sachs in Asia, you know, just a little job. <laughs> just, a <small> um, <laughs> just a small company. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, a it's, a che- it's like being a cheese maker, <laughs> Exactly. You know? So Mark is uh, spending a lot of time in Beijing, and, and Lisa decided and realized that there was no way she was going to be able to run a dairy um, when she was traveling back and forth to Beijing. Um, and so she basically got rid of, well, get rid of, but sold to a dairy upstate um, two-thirds of the goats, um, okay. but kept uh, kept the big milkers. So. I was kind of shocked to find two weeks into the season that I had a lot more milk than I had expected. Not a lot more, but a, you know, definitely 20% more than I was expecting because the numbers would have meant should have meant that I had much less milk.
3: <clears throat> so <clears throat> that means that she's got good good breeding, yeah. good genetics. Well, she kept
4: she kept the good ones, <laughs> so she she let go the stragglers, yeah, um, and she kept the good ones. So I only had, it's 14 goats, mm-hmm. um, but they're given over a gallon a gallon, you know, 1.1 gallons per goat per day. Which is a really—that's you know, a lot. It's like nine pounds a day per goat, which is—it's—it's—it's wow. it's, it's good numbers. What's the average? I don't know. <laughs> I should know. I do. Re- I remember. I, I remember. I remember times, Margo but. and Alex at consider Bardwell battling uh, to get their Saanens up, up because um, sonnen goats, of course, are not known for their—you pre- uh, know—the amount that they produce.
3: Saanen goats are those pretty white ones. They're gorgeous. For anybody They're beautiful. Doesn't know. Yeah. Pretty
4: white ones? No, no. Sonnens? I, mean, I think isn't that what the consider consider Broadwell has? Mm. I thought they had the Sonnens. I thought it's like the dark, the ones with like the face. Oh
3: man, we'll have to look into it. I feel like son- Owen, uh, when I worked Owen, in France, Owen, we, had, had, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had we had goats, and they were they were white goats. Oh, but. Really?
4: Maybe I'm getting confused, but anyway, so they're she good. is Alpine goats, and um, those fourteen goats are doing a lot of work. They're doing a good job for me.
3: So um, you didn't so, just move up there and decide to become a cheesemaker having taken one short course with Peter Dixon, how you were developing your skills over the years. I was
4: with Lisa for a year and a half, something like that. Okay. Um, making cheese with her. And so she basically said to me, uh, you know, um, I'm going to keep the 14 best goats and if you want it, you know, you can pay me rent you can have it. So I, you know, that's kind of what I've always wanted to do. And so I kind of had to jump at the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, and I realized pretty quickly that since she had buyers of, um, of her products already, that uh, I might as well just keep making her stuff. And she was totally fine with that. She just wanted to make sure that she had, it had a different name. So no one who ate it and thought, man, this is crap. <laughs> <laughs> no one thought it, Lisa Schwartz was responsible for that crap. Right. As it turns well, out. As it turns as out, as it turns it's out.
3: not crap. Yeah, it, no. yeah. um, so Far tell us about it. the cheeses that you are making this yep. season, your so, inaugural year. So and the, the name, too. The, the name, names. The name.
4: Cinder and Clover. The name story is interesting i didn't I, I didn't quite enjoy the uh process of coming up with the names either for the well creamery. i remember
5: that you told me that they're horse names yes horse they horses names, names just translate into cheese names effortlessly, that is true which makes when i no was when, when i was but, it doesn't make any sense
4: yeah. <laughs> i was thinking of uh what i should name the creamery i wanted i didn't want it to be um nor, I didn't want it to be anything to do with Bedford necessarily. I didn't want it to be the Bedford Hills Creamery because if I had moved to northern New Jersey or Pennsylvania or Maine or something like that, it would be as silly to call it Bedford Hills Creamery, Bedford Hills Dairy. So I wanted it to be unique, and I found some Native American who had, had uh, sold off his land uh, 200 years ago, something like that, um, to one of the first uh, you know, settlers of Bedford. So I like the name, eratome and uh, that was a process in and of itself. It took me a long time. And I, I just uh, I kept looking on the Internet. <laughs> names, names, names. And I found that ho- horse, names are
1: horse, <laughs> horse names, horse names
4: dot com, dot com exactly. <laughs> I don't even know what the website would be where you would find horse names, but there were pages and pages and pages and pages of horse names, and, and they, names all, make names. they yeah. all make good cheese names. They all make good cheese names. It
3: reminds me, like they tell you what you know your porn star name would be, like the horse <laughs> yeah. name becoming the cheese name. Yeah, Yoav like,
4: Yoav Perry. Who we'll we'll maybe get to in the second half of the show. We were just on the way up to the sh- up to the uh, farm the other day, and he said that Major Deegan would be a great. Uh, a great porn name. <laughs> <laughs>
3: they're going to say a great cheese name. I was like, no, no I wouldn't no. want to <laughs> eat Major porn Deegan. Na- Major Deegan. No, thank you. Yeah. Um,
4: <laughs> That's funny. So where was I? Horse name. So Cinder is an um, ash-covered... Fr- they're both fresh goat cheeses. You know, fresh, fresh goat cheese is what Lisa made, partly because... It's the easiest thing to turn around, turn over. You know, you can make fresh goat cheese and it's ready. Um, it's ready in days. In fact, I, you know, I dropped off cheese today. That was made uh, two days ago. I need about two days from like when it's, I put it out on the table to actually getting in, getting it to the stores. Um, and it's a really quick turnaround with the fresh cheese and, and it's popular, you know, fresh cheese sells. Um, Especially at this time of the year. I feel yeah. like people
3: really, you know, want something that's lighter. Yep. A little tangier, not too, like, stinky or
4: aged. So, and I, you know, I I thought, um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I went with the same cheeses that um, Lisa made. And she just said, just change the name and then they're yours. So Mm -hmm. I did that. So uh, cinder is ash-covered fresh cheese and clover. If you can recognize the horse in that name, clover and cinder. Cinder actually worked on a couple levels because obviously the ash, you know, so it wasn't. Uh, a completely random clover was somewhat random but also goats if they're on pasture yeah eat clover so i thought there was some kind of connection there too The little Um, flowers have a little white tint mm -hmm. to them
3: which is yeah
4: exactly um so those 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 are the two cheeses that i make i also make feta for the market you guys haven't eaten any of the feta yet um i just don't have the the milk to do everything i would like to do um,
3: well, I think it's better probably to start out with fewer cheeses. I feel like yep. it's yeah. a pretty common pitfall of cheesemakers to start trying to do right. five, six, ten different varieties. But I'll tell you why they do that.
4: They do that for the markets. Because the farmer's market. The farmer's market. Yeah, exactly. of So you quickly find that when you go to the farmer's market for the first time, you know, you know it's five out of ten people don't want fresh goat cheese. They want something else. They want hard cheese. Um, they want brie. They want, they want not what you're selling. And so I think, <laughs> I think, uh, so a tell lot him, of, uh,
3: Go to, go to
4: fricking Stu Leonard's. No, just kidding. <laughs> Or not whatever's far, up there. It's not that far from there, is it? Yeah. Um, so I can see why people would do that. And that's why I do the feta. Because feta is also a quick turnaround, easy to make relatively. And it sells well at markets, especially in the summertime. So, yep. Yep. um, I, I do some feta and I do, I just do the, the curd when it's not molded, it becomes chev that, um, that you can cook with and Lisa had a lot of success with the Chev, like mixing it with cranberries and other stuff um I sell it to Blue Hill at Stone Barns and they, they cook with it and that's pretty much the only people that buy the chef uh, and Corey Kova oh that's right at uh, ABV I not yeah. Mention Corey <laughs> yeah Corey's
3: a great guy and yeah. anyone who hasn't been to ABV has got to go, go and Earl's Beer and Cheese now. and Do Loco they're opening a donut place yes yeah. it's maybe they'll put goat cheese in a donut
5: that i can definitely see that crow
4: go no donut yeah <laughs>
5: exactly.
4: are they gonna do a cronut oh hopefully not he's not gonna follow in anyone's footsteps no, hopefully like, yeah, not plays a new path
5: well i think we have to take a quick break but when we come back we're gonna te- keep talking with john talk about urban cheese making and all sorts of stuff
3: and our curd word stay tuned
1: Today's program was brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 160 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com.
3: And we are back on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. You can check out this and all the other shows on the network at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host is Sophie Schlesinger. Today we have uh, John Bonanno of Aratome Dairy in the studio with us, and we also have Owen Rapaport, who is our curd word guy. We're going to lead off the second segment here with our with our curd word of the week. Um,
2: go for it. All right. Thank you, Anne. Um, so our curd word of the week is abomasum which is also known as the maw, the rennet bag, or the reed tripe. And it's actually the fourth and final stomach compartment in ruminants, which are animals which chew their own cud. Um, And so what's important about the abomasum for cheesemakers is that it secretes rennet,
4: which is used, of course, when you're trying to make the cheese coagulate. So that's what i have a mason. So. The phrase awesome. Renet bag is. The rennet- <laughs> yeah, <that's awesome.
2: laughs>
3: and, did you say ma? Also, yeah, that's <laughs> Is that M A W ma? <laughs> exactly. Yes. That, that's great. So we don't have to cover ma in a future episode. <laughs> yeah. We just did it. We got like a a, a twofer. <laughs> well, thank you Thanks, very much. Someone.
4: My pleasure. Speaking of rennet. Interestingly enough, Saxby Cheesemongers is the only people that have the animal rennet version of the cinder.
3: Yes! Remember that? It was a very interesting thing. I mean, I, for, you know, people have told me over the many years that I've sold cheese that the type of rennet used, um, you know, people are like, Oh, it doesn't really make that big of a difference. There are some diehards who only want to use animal based rennet, but a lot of people say, Oh, Peter Dixon was actually one of them because he said he wouldn't use vegetable based rennet at consider Bardwell when he was the cheesemaker there until he could do some test batches to make sure that they were up to his standards. And he thought it didn't change the flavor or the consistency. Mm -hmm. But when we tasted test batches of, um, of your cheese, John, um, we really liked, I, I definitely noticed a difference. Yeah, and a we difference. we were, did a blind tasting. It was yeah. just like v- version A, B, and C. Yeah. And I like the animal rennet versions better. Yeah.
4: Every now and then I'll, I'll have a bite of one of them and I can't remember which one I grabbed. And uh, it's noticeable. You can tell right away which one it is. Yeah. Um, so Saxby Cheese is for the animal rennet version of the cinder and uh, other places. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, John. That's really, awesome. Other places that's awesome. Have, the, have the animal rennet.
3: Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so we were going to talk about, I think, an article that just yep. came out. Uh, Sophie's going to chat about yeah, that. So
5: there was a really great article um, actually written by Matt Spiegler, who was a guest on our show, who is a programmer by day, cheesemaker by night, has a wonderful cheese blog called Cheese Notes, um, and wrote an article for Modern Farmer, just profiling some of the cheesemakers here in the city, um, a bunch of who have been on our show. One was John. Yep. And, and yeah. the theme
3: of the article was urban cheesemakers. Yes. Yeah, okay. I was Urban
4: Cheesemakers. Yeah. But I think obviously, no, you know, it's not a name that you should attach to anyone in particular. You know, specific name. I'm, I make cheese in Westchester, Northern Westchester County. It's no, it's not right. really very urban. But I started people, making cheese in in the city. Yeah, obviously. I feel like people started um, making cheese in the city. right. Yeah. right exactly. Um, and yeah, you know, the reason that I think that the article is interesting, and I'm not, you know, I don't know if people realize this so much is that we're all friends um all of the people mentioned in the article and the writer matt are all friends and we kind of started we hung out at um local 61 for the first time like two years ago and um it's been it's the best the best and it's they've been so helpful in the last you know two years to have people to kind of riff off of and especially now where I don't have time to think for myself. <laughs> you know, I'm in the, I'm in this, uh, you know, the single cheesemaker mode right now where I'm just constantly making cheese. Like single mother, single <laughs> cheesemaker. Single, single cheesemaker. <laughs> yeah, by myself, making cheese all the time. I don't have time to think. So what I can do is I can send an email out to Yoav or, or to Matt or to Elena or to Yos. And if I have any questions, and I get immediate response back from them. And so to have that kind of support is, uh, is crucial. Because I think
5: that's a reoccurring theme we're seeing. Last week we were talking with um, uh, Dean Summer in Wisconsin about the Cheese Masters program, and he was saying the same thing, you know, for these people who have been making cheese for decades they now have this little network and they can just call each other up on the phone yeah. and troubleshoot. Yeah, I mean, Yoav really came up.
4: Yoav came up a couple of days ago and made, we made some uh, spruce, uh, binded, uh, goat cheese. Um, and I never would have, I never would have mm. had the energy or the time to come up with a recipe and, and do that. And, you know, I, cause I'm constantly pretty much on autopilot these days, but Yoav, you know, who's, has more energy than i do uh <laughs> basically spurred me on so we made a batch and uh, we'll see what it tastes like in a couple of weeks
5: and we actually have a caller um on the line so we're gonna go ahead and put her through
3: hello hello caller
2: hi there <laughs>
3: <laughs> identify yourself caller
2: <laughs> this, is, this is veronica
3: veronica pedraza of meadowwood farms um And also a a former guest on Cutting the Curd, former (laughs) cheesemonger at (laughs) Saxophone Cheesemongers. Crazy. Um, All right. So I'm going to contextualize this a little bit. So um, this article by Matt Spiegler came out about urban cheesemakers basically profiling people who have made cheese at some point in the city, um, kind of on a small scale. And... um, and uh, Veronica had some ha- had some comments about that as as a cheesemaker. Um, so we're going to just have a little lively debate for the last couple of minutes about about urban cheesemaking. Um, so Veronica, what, what was your what was your beef with urban cheesemaking?
2: Oh well, it wasn't just well. I don't know if I can speak for Tia. <laughs> Tia. <I'm>
3: gonna
2: <laughs> Better not. We both
4: yeah. Essentially I thought
2: that. that you know milk is milk is essentially grass and so in an urban environment you lack you lack grass <laughs> um so you lack milk
3: but the people who made that milk have grass right and so you know the milk that comes to us isn't like you know isn't like uh you know gravel fed milk from brooklyn or anything it's like grass fed <laughs> from somewhere <laughs>
2: I'm, I'm sure that you guys will. If anyone's going to revolutionize gravel fed milk, <laughs> <laughs> we can do it. It'll be, it'll be Brooklyn.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I've never traveled through like Morocco and seen those goats on up up in the mountains. I don't know what they're. They must be eating gravel because I don't see any grass inside. Um, no, but I would agree that most that that uh, if you want, you know, the most cheesemakers who are in in the in the business of making cheese and, and have a business with employees. Um, uh, have to have pasture to put their goods I think it's an economic decision. I mean, it's not even you can argue about whether or not it has anything to do with the flavor of the milk and that kind of thing. But and it, you, they go to animals have to be on pasture if if uh, a, a cheese uh, maker wants to have a sustainable business. I think there's just no other way to do it. Mm. So I would agree. But I think most of the cheese profiled in the article are are buying milk that is from grass fed animals. You know, there's most of them are buying it from most of the cheesemakers and the urban cheesemakers are buying it from um, probably from, sh- from cow shares programs, mm-hmm. um, kind of like below the radar from grass fed animals and in, in Pennsylvania and stuff like that.
3: Well, and there's a distinction to be made too. I mean, I think that Matt Spiegler was profiling um you know more like hobbyist cheesemakers right. rather exactly. than which of course now you're not um but right. you know people who make cheese just kind of as like a fun right. you know thing to do for their friends and for themselves and in their apartments you know jerry-rigging refrigerators right. and whatever exactly. it takes um but uh you know that's uh that stuff def- that's totally legit cuz there's like craft brewing which you know is or home brewing i should say um
4: there's home roasting of coffee beans i think too yeah. i mean there's all kinds of stuff but it's never going to take the place of you know the pros
3: yeah definitely not and and i feel but i feel like even still there are larger scale urban cheesemakers i feel like you know um, salvatore brooklyn's a good example yep. you and know Niel's, doesn't neil's
4: yard do something
3: or
2: i was or, gonna say beecher's. Beecher's.
4: beechers beechers is really
2: the urban cheesemaker if there yeah. was one but you yeah.
4: know and you know you can have the debate about whether or not people should be trucking trucking in giant milk trucks into the city that's definitely a debate i would be willing to have <laughs> yeah well <laughs> i'm not sure yeah. it would come down to as one that would be for that um but uh, but if you can afford to do it again, as I think it's an economic thing, I just don't think it's affordable for most people, most industries. Right? Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, well, all right. We are almost out of time. Any 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 closing thoughts for us, Veronica, on uh, on cheese making, goats, goat dairies, John's cheese. You got to try John's cheese. It's really good. I have tried. Ledger. I'd love
2: to try John's cheese. Maybe we can do a cheese trade, John. I'll yes. send you some cheese, and you'll send me some cheese.
4: That's a good plan. I'm a big ledger fan. To make
2: a, it's a lifestyle thing. You can't have it both ways. You can't live in the city and be a cheese maker. Just not. Even if you're just making as a hobby. You You just have to suck it up. There are a lot of things I don't like about living in the country, but I like making cheese more. (laughs) Very interesting.
3: All right, well, we will leave it with that. We're out of time for today's show, but thank you so much, um, John, for being with us. Thank you, Owen, for our curd word. Thanks, Veronica, for the phone call, and um, we will be back next week with another episode.
5: Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.